Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, he's a retired NHL player, performance coach, author, speaker. It's Aaron Volpatti. How are you doing today, Aaron? Good luck. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, I was born in a small town, born and raised in a small town, uh, Revelstoke, British Columbia. It's uh, just a ski town. I mean, fun fact, it's the tallest vertical ski hill in North America now. So maybe not a lot of people know about it. Uh, I think it's becoming a little more uh, known now, but yeah, it's, it was a great little town, about 10,000 people. And yeah, I mean, I like a lot of Canadian kids played hockey from, you know, probably three years old and just really loved it. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time outside in the snow and, and yeah, hockey was a big part of that. So as you got older, do you still, prefer snow or do you like to mix with like the heat because here in Missouri you either get cold heat doesn't matter each day something different no I prefer I like the four seasons it's funny now because I live in I mean the Okanagan I don't know how familiar are familiar you are with with this area but and a lot of people are kind of shocked to know that we live in like wine country uh, (laughs) out here so they're like in Canada and so it's like a bit of a you know it's it's our version of Napa Valley, I guess you could say. And so it's a lot smaller, but yeah, man, it like we get over a hundred degrees here in the summer, a lot of time, and then we still get the snow. So, I mean, Revelstoke's a little bit different, but that's only two hours away. Um, so yeah, we get all four seasons, but yeah, in the, in the drolls of winter, I don't mind getting away somewhere warm either. <laughs> you talked about everyone in Canada kind of gets involved with hockey was that something you always wanted to do when you were a kid? Play hockey, be active, be with other people, things like that? Totally, yeah. I mean, I played lots of other sports. I mean, we, we did like baseball, uh, soccer, I had boxing. Like, I did a lot of different things. But yeah, hockey just, you know, it's, it's Canada. I mean, most kids are exposed to it in some in some form. And yeah, it's just all about just having fun, obviously at that age but yeah it was just one of those things that I I love to do and uh you know the Canucks were big my family were fans and we just watched them and pretended to be them and yeah you know it was was just a big part of life so growing up what did hockey teach you it's a good question I think just you know that element of teamwork um, being involved in a team, a team atmosphere and what that looks like and, you know, different roles. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it was about having fun really. And mm-hmm. just, I think that's, a, that's a good lesson too, is just, you know, take joy in, in anything really. And at the end of the day, you do something, you, hopefully you do something because you love to do it. Right. And, and that's what I, that's what I tell a lot of my people, clients I work with now with the coaching, it's like, well, you know, why, why are you doing this? And, remember that little kid that, you know, you started in your respective sport, whatever you're doing, you started it because it was fun first. Right. And things, you know, progressed, but it's always comes back to the fun for, for me. So, yeah. That's always a conversation that comes up with like parents wanting to get their kids involved, but they kind of make them so focused on that sport that those kids end up losing interest because they're getting pushed too hard. And I know when I was younger, 
I just enjoyed it. It just got me away from school. Like, let me go have fun on the weekends and stuff. So I kind of like that mentality that you had where just enjoy it, have fun because later down the road, it will get important because scholarships and things like that, but enjoy being a kid while you are a kid. Yeah. We could talk forever about that. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's too serious too soon for a lot of these kids, which it's, it's it's a little bit sad in some in some respects where yeah like you said they just you know you can't be a kid anymore you got to like focus on one sport only at whatever 10 years old it's yep. it's crazy so i think like a lot of things and you know I, i'm not gonna say my view on other things in the world but i will say that like a lot of things that's gone way too far one way where it's maybe hey somewhere in the middle um i would say that would be one example of that so but it is what it is at this point when you were playing, did you kind of find an area that you specialized in? Was it a certain position, a certain type of play style? What was going on with that? Yeah, I found my niche early. I was I was a, a hitter. Like, that was what I, I don't know why, I just loved to hit people. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and I was a small, small kid. I was the smallest kid in my town. And I remember, like, when I, because you could hit earlier, Back then, I don't know when the kids hit now, maybe 13, 14. Like, we were hitting when we were 10 or 11, I think. And wow. I was a tiny kid, so I broke both my collarbones, like, had shoulder problems because I was I was small, but I was still trying to hit hard. And, um, yeah, that was definitely – skating and hitting was was kind of my game. Um, you know, I, I excelled at minor hockey, you know, as most kids that go on to play, like, junior do. But uh, – yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really that good. I mean, like I said, I was, I was a grinder and I liked that hitting. I mean, when I got a little bit older, if you were to tell me I could score a goal or make like a huge hit, uh, it would be a hit. So I was, I don't know if that makes me a little sick, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just always had a knack for like the angles and of hitting and it's such a mental thing. Like every, I mean, pretty much everything in life, you know, there's a mental aspect that's, I just knew like I could, I might be outweighed by 50 pounds, but I can go through that, that guy. Right. Um, it's a mindset. So I just really like that aspect of it. You talked about being the smallest kid. Were you trying to overcome like imita- uh, intimidation that you might, they might've had you thinking about those players or were you showing them that you can't underestimate, underestimate me because I can show you something that you might not expect from me. Yeah, there's definitely an element of, of that. And, you you know, you can't let certain guys or players get to you for sure. I, I mean, I don't think that was there. I don't know. I wouldn't say at a young age. Um, I think, like, again, once once hitting came into the picture, before that it was just, you know, you just had fun and you just liked playing the game. And then, yeah, once we were able to hit, that was always uh, something I loved to do. And um there was, there was an intimidation factor or again, like maybe I overcompensated for my lack of size, you know, in terms of, you know, just because I'm small doesn't mean you can push me around kind of thing. Mm. So there could have been an element of that. Yeah. Growing up, did you have any influences or anyone that you inspired to be or inspirations that had a big impact in your life? I mean, my parents were a huge, a huge impact on me, obviously. I mean, I'm sure you get that a lot, but I really respected the way they, again, like they just said, if you want to do it and you have fun, go ahead. There was never pressure, anything like that. 
Um, I had some good mentors, you know, when I got a little older around like 16 and, you know, I started having options of junior hockey. I had some good mentors that, uh, you know, kind of helped me out. Um, but again, like I, I wasn't that good. Like I was never supposed to go play pro hockey or anything like that. So for me, I want to play junior hockey and get a scholarship. And, you know, that, that was my, my goal at the time. Why do you feel you weren't that good? It's not that I, I had like a lack of confidence or anything. I just, you know, there's how many, I don't know how many hockey players there are in the world, but Canada, there's probably, you know, half a million kids a year play hockey or whatever it is. And I grew up in a small town and I'm, I'm like, I was, I was one of the best players in minor hockey in this mm-hmm. small town, but you know, I, I got cut from all the rep teams and summer league teams and um, yeah, you know where you stand. And I, you know, I got cut from these teams. And so, like I said, at the time I was just a late bloomer, right? So it, it took me some time to, to get where I needed to go. And, and that was fine by me. And I just kept playing as, as long as I could. With Canada, a lot of competition with kids playing. Do you feel that if you lived in maybe another country or someone somewhere else that hockey was big, that you might have gone to these teams or not been cut in these certain situations? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I mean, I have some, obviously, a lot of friends that live in the U.S. and stuff, but there's some, there's a lot of, you know, hockey's pretty big in a lot of parts of the U.S. now too, right? Yeah. Um, even if you go to some of the European countries. So it's hard for me to say, uh, like, I don't know how to live there, but um, I would say Canada is definitely, you know, a a different beast in terms of um, amount of kids that play hockey. I think it's, it's gotten worse now with like the pressure that, you know, these kids feel to, to just make it or, you know, they, that fun is lacking. I think a lot of the time, but I mean, to answer your question, I I don't really know. Yeah. Was the main goal always to go professional? Did you have another dream job that you were wanting or what, what were you wanting to do? No. And that's what I mean. That was never even on my radar. Like pro hockey was just, it didn't seem like it was an option for me. You know, I like, I was never drafted in uh, the Bantam draft, the major junior draft, like nothing. Um, I just kind of snuck into junior A hockey. So yeah, again, I mean, I didn't have a reason to think I would play pro hockey at the time. Um, sorry, what was your last part of your question? Did you, ha- uh, was hockey that main professional goal? Oh yeah, yeah. Or did you have a backup plan or no, was I there want- a backup plan? Yeah. I wanted to go to school and do something in sports science or exercise, you know, physiology, kinesiology, something like that. So my plan was always to go, you know, go to school and, you know, I was chasing that, that dream of a NCAA scholarship. Like that was my, where I wanted to go. And um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I never got drafted, never was on the radar for any, any professional teams or anything like that. So. Did you end up going to college and pursuing that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I went to Brown university for four years, got my degree there. And um, yeah, it was a crazy, uh, crazy old journey and that's what a lot of the you know my book stuff's about is that journey what that looked like um it was it was a good one so yeah I figured I'd put pen to paper uh, a couple years ago or about a year and a half ago now 
Do you feel the concepts, the things that you learned in college with the subjects and the classes helped you learn more about yourself being an athlete and the things that you prepare yourself with your body, mind, and health? Yeah, I think college, college allowed me, I mean, me like to become a man. I went there at 21, so I was quite a bit older and that was, it was a bit of an ongoing joke when we got there. I'm like as old as the people graduating, <laughs> you know, cause I played junior hockey until I was 21 and, but yeah, it's, it was really good to, I, I mean, I would say for, for lots of young, you know, young adults, I guess at that age, but to go out and sort of explore the world and you find yourself and you find interests and, you know, you get, there's a sense of accountability of you need to do this. And especially being a student athlete, you know, you have places you need to be and things you need to do and uh, balancing that whole thing. And it gives you lots of skills in that regard. And, yeah, again, just experiencing a new, new city, maybe a new cult. Like Brown was great. There was a, a ton of diversity there. So you meet with different people and people from different cultures and you learn about that and make new friends. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of good life lessons in that. And I mean, again, like for me, for my hockey career, it was, it was you know, imperative just that I became a man and I, I got stronger and, and faster and better and just yeah, you know, perspectives on life and things like that, they change and, and uh, took different forms. So yeah, I mean, I would have changed, changed it for the world. When you were a student athlete, did you kind of have that same play style being that heavy hitter and playing like you were in the junior leagues? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, again, for me, it was just always trying to add that layer onto my game. Like I would sneak into to junior hockey with, you know, hitting and the fighting and then kind of add a little bit of that offensive element my last year. And then same thing with, with the college, you know, I snuck in with the hitting. I mean, you couldn't fight in college, so I was just hitting and um, yeah. So, and then, but my, my last year I added that offensive element and that's when I got a lot of interest from, from the pro teams and it happened quick within the span of just a year so. A lot of people see players on the ice and they think that they have this aggressive mentality off the ice. When you're not playing, did you kind of have that different personality or did you kind of have that tough exterior with being that heavy hitter on the ice? Like, is it two different people? Aaron on the ice is different than Aaron off the ice. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think at a young age, you know, I was a little bit, uh, I wasn't a cocky kid, but I was just very uh, abrasive. Um, And that was just me sort of finding my way. And again, a little bit was, you know, I I was smaller and I felt this need to maybe overcompensate. So I was like sometimes aggressive off the ice and, you know, I was a fighter. So I kind of embodied that a little bit off the ice sometimes. And it got me into a little bit of trouble, but yeah, I mean, now and and even like in college and, and, and pro, you know, yeah, totally different off the ice. You kind of, uh, you know, embody that alter ego of this person that you, you know, you take on uh, when you're on the ice, especially when you're in like a scrap or something like that. And I, you know, I was growing as a person too. And, um, but I think you'll, a lot of people will tell you sort of the, you know, the toughest people that, you know, they play with. And I would agree, like some of the toughest guys I played with or, or even played against and fought are, are the nicest, quietest guys off the ice too, right? Um, so, 
yeah, I know definitely different, different people early in my day, maybe not as much, but, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely now. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm more of a lover, not a fighter. Uh, but obviously on the ice, it's a bit of a different story. Were you able to, with everything that you had on your plate with school, hockey, were you able to have that social life and have that things that you could enjoy and be a part of? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, that was a big part, especially like the college atmosphere, you know, it's college, everyone's trying to have some fun. And there was definitely an element of that. And, you know, I, I worked my ass off to where, you know, to get to where I got to. So there was an element too, for me of just, you know, blowing off steam once in a while and having some fun with, with everyone. And, um, but when it was time to work, it was time to work. And and that was my mentality. Right. So yeah, there was definitely maybe not as much as, is someone that wasn't maybe a student athlete. Um, you know, we're, you know, playing games on the weekend and practicing mm-hmm. during the week. So yeah, it's kind of, you know, you pick your spots when you can and, uh, take advantage if you have it, you know, and, and kind of let loose and decompress. I think it was a big thing for me just to sort of unwind and, and have some fun and, and things like that. And being around, you know, the group of guys is, I mean, those are the times you miss even, you know, when people ask me if I missed the game and college and pro it's, it's, it is like the on ice stuff, but it's, it's more about like being in the dressing room and being around, you know, the guys and the camaraderie and, you know, going for dinner, having a few beers after and just kind of, you know, telling stories. Those are the the things that you really miss that maybe you don't realize you will miss, you know? So yeah, we, we made time for fun. And, um, but again, when it was time to work, it was time to work. So. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Even with you're talking about being in the dressing room and enjoying the time with your fellow teammates. I think a lot of people can relate that with college where you're living with these people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then you go back out into the real world after you graduate and you don't have that kind of lifestyle anymore. And you kind of reminisce on those times. So I think people can relate to what you were going through in all aspects, people in a job, they enjoy being around their coworkers and then they move on to a different job and they still remember the good times with the former coworkers. So I think what you brought up is a great point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and that's especially what people I think are missing now, you know, with COVID going on and there's that, there's that, I mean, we're social beings, right. And we, we, crave that you know that environment and when it's kind of when it's taken away you know it's really exposed not exposed but just really kind of doubled down on like oh I mean like I miss the connection of of people and when you have that experience of being in a team and like you know for me it was hockey then it's like yeah you miss it right so no I totally agree what was next after college where did your path lead you so I signed with Vancouver. I mean, the day that we got kicked out of uh, the playoffs in Brown, um, I signed with Vancouver the next day and, you know, I was off, I was on a plane, I think the next day after that. So two days after, so you sign a, uh, and I had set myself up where I, I took a couple extra classes and stayed in Providence the one, my uh, junior year summer um, to get an extra credit and start my, it wasn't a thesis, but it was because I didn't do honors, but um, you had to do a, a God, I can't even remember. It's been too long, but like for my degree, you, you know, you had to do a study and, um, and that was a credit, you know? So I did that 
in the summer and then took a couple extra classes the previous year. So by the time senior spring rolled around, I was pretty much graduated. And so I, because again, I, I had made this plan and like, again, I, I didn't think I was going to the NHL until I was 24 years old. And then I decided I just made a choice. I'm like, that's where I'm going. And so I set myself up for, to be, you know, graduated my senior year because I knew if I signed, I'd be going on a, um, they call it an eight an amateur tryout agreement or contract, right. Where you sign and then you go kind of get your feet wet for a couple months with the minor league team. And that's what I did. And then come back to school, graduated, and then my contract kicks in, you know, for the next year. So that was, uh, it happened quick. It happened in a couple of days. I was playing in NCAA and then I was playing in the American hockey league, you know, again, a few days later. So it, it happened quick. Was it cool to have Vancouver sign you to a deal or be a part, like reach out to you when you were a fan of them growing up? Yeah, it's it's so crazy how it worked out. I mean, out of 30 teams, you know, that's yeah. the team, right? So it's it's pretty crazy for sure. They were one of the first teams that did that came to me. Um, I mean, I had such a good senior year. I had quite a few interests and, you know, a handful of contract offers, but theirs was the best and just an opportunity to to go play in in my home province, obviously my home team was was awesome. So it's funny, like I remember calling my parents when I signed my contract and like, again, no one, no one really understood, I guess the interest I was getting, like, because I never told anyone anything. Cause I, I, I was just, nothing's happened for sure. So I didn't want to say anything. And I called my parents and they, they like legit thought I was joking. <laughs> like, like they had no idea. And I said, no, I was like, you know, I kind of told you I was getting some interest from some pro teams and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I kind of played that down a bit. Like I just signed with Vancouver and they were like, uh, good one. <laughs> oh like, no, I actually did. And they still didn't believe me. And they thought I was, you know, messing with them, obviously. But so, yeah, it was funny how it worked out. And yeah, again, I, I mean, I could have signed like out east or who knows, you know, other teams were interested too. And I could end up like in Nashville, um, you know, and just, it's funny how life works sometimes and yeah, I ended up in Vancouver and it was, it was cool. So it was, was it more about the team or maybe the financial aspects or was it just being close to home? That was, yeah, more- it was a little, there's, I mean, there's an element of everything. Um, yeah. You want to kind of balance maybe financial and opportunity too right I mean yeah that was the thing Vancouver was a a powerhouse team at the time so I knew I was going into you know a stacked team but I mean the financial side they offered me a lot more money than anyone and I was like you know scrapping by to get my beer money in college so I was like (laughs) well that's already hard to say no to so um, and then the fact that it's my home team I was like yeah let's let's do it so um, a little bit of everything but again you kind of there's always a trade-off versus opportunity and, you know, how well the team's doing, because if you're on a good team, I mean, this is more leading up to the NHL, but again, you can go be the big fish in a small pond or, or vice versa. Right. So it's, there's, there's trade-offs to both and both can work. So I could have maybe signed, you know, with the team that, you know, was in the bottom 10 in the league and mm-hmm. maybe jumped right into like even maybe a third line role or something, who knows. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, again, the financial aspect and just the opportunity to play, to play, you know, at home essentially was, was kind of trumped everything at that point. In your first year as a rookie, what was the most rewarding experience you got out of that first year? I would have had to be my call up. Uh, I was called up on the, or no, I think my first game was the 18th of December. Um, so that was cool. Just, you know, kind of, again, call my family and say like, it, it happened, like I'm going up and, you know, getting everyone there. Vancouver hockey night in Canada. Uh, we played the Maple Leaf. So that was obvious. That was probably my, you know, my best memory. And then a couple days later, I scored, scored my goal against uh, you guys in St. Louis. So uh, yeah, it's, it was funny, like how the game, it, it's almost easier sometimes in the NHL. A lot of guys will tell you that too, where uh, my first game, I was nervous and I, you know, you kind of just settle in. But the second game, I think I even hit a post in the third period. And I'm like, man, I could have two goals here. <laughs> um, and again, I wasn't a goal scorer, but it was just one of those games that you just I felt good and and got my goal. And uh, yeah, it was it was cool how things worked out. Did it ever feel like a dream that you were in that arena with all those fans watching and you're playing? Did it ever feel that, is this real? Is this really happening? Yeah, well, so for me, I was so big on the visualization stuff. So I had already seen that a million times. So it's it kind of just, it brought me back to that. And it, it it wasn't really a dream because, you know, I had already seen it so much. So again, it was so vivid for me to like live in that moment. And just, I kind of brought me back to that. And just, I've been here, like this is where I was going, you know. Um, so it was really cool. And just to to see it, you know, come to fruition, right? When you scored your first goal against my team, the St. Louis Blues, how did that feeling feel for you? Like, what was your reaction? Were you like, wow, this is the first of many, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, I think I blacked out a little bit. But um, yeah, you just, I mean, I just threw it on net. I mean, it looks like maybe I I set it up to to purposely put it five hole, but I was just, I caught it and just threw it on net and um I mean, you still know when it goes in. And yeah, again, I just, I was obviously, you know, ecstatic and I, I don't even know. I think I did some goofy celebration with, <laughs> with, with my uh, stick in, in my hand at the same time. But um, yeah, it was definitely surreal. And, you know, for it to happen in my second game was really cool. So you talked about earlier that you were a hitter and fighting when you got in, I mean, this is probably a weird question, but your first fight in the NHL, is it like still like, were you like, okay, let's do this? Because when someone searches you online, usually it's like fight, fight, fight. And it's kind of like, I don't know if, does he like to be known for that when people are searching for him? Like, do you like people searching and that's what they're finding out? Well, that's what I have to tell my kid. He's just, he's almost <laughs> six. And he's like, he grasped that I played now. And he's like, daddy, I want to watch more videos. And it's like, yeah, I do what everyone does. I'm like, okay, I don't know if I should show him that one, that one, that one, <laughs> that one. But I like scroll down to my few goals I ever scored. Uh, I mean, I'll let him see the odd one, but there's some ones that are, you know, I'm bleeding all over the place. And I was like, well, maybe he's not ready for that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, that was just my role. Again, I, you know, I, I did what I had to do to make it. And, and that was part of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, going back to your question about, you know, the first fight, 
I, I always did better when it was, you know, an organic spur of the moment type of thing, right? Versus the premeditated, you know, square off mm -hmm. center. Um, I mean, I don't think I lost many the other way. And I, I lost a lot more with the square off, right? Because you're thinking about it and you're not really... I'm not like a mad guy. So you'd have to get punched in the face a few times before you wake up. And sometimes that's too late. Right. And uh, no, anyway, so that game, it was, it was against Philadelphia. I fought Sean O'Donnell, who was a big, uh, you know, D man. And he was a lot older at the time. I think he was probably like in his mid thirties. And uh, I went to the net and we kind of got into it and I dropped my gloves and I, I, he slipped on his stick, I think. And, <laughs> I hit him on the way down, maybe a little bit late and he was pissed. And so we went to the box. And so, I mean, I don't think we got a, we didn't get a fighting major for that, but I mean, we, we essentially fought, like it just was really quick. And I, I hit him with a late one and he didn't like that. And so we got out of the box and, and squared off. And, you know, I was, I kind of fought that one a little bit smarter, stayed in tight, did pretty well. And uh, yeah, I felt good about, got my feet wet there and then you know the rest is history do you ever when you ever go into the penalty box do you ever think was it really worth it like was getting this penalty worth going for I guess did you always go in the box for the fighting or sometimes they take you off yeah I, I can't say I ever had that feeling of questioning whether it was worth it it's kind of like in the moment you're like <laughs> the adrenaline's going and yeah no, there was never that thought of like, oh, should I have done that or, or anything like that? I mean, if you take a bad tripping penalty, then that's different. <laughs> you know, getting in a scrap. I mean, that's that's my job. So yeah, um, that's part of it. That's part of the job description. So yeah, there was never an element of me questioning if I should have done that or. I mean, if I if I lost the fight, then I might be yeah, like okay, what what where did it go wrong? Maybe or is it the fact that this guy is like fifty pounds heavier than me, or is it? you know, did I make a mistake or whatever, right? What would you say is the most memorable accomplishment in your NHL career or something that stands out to you? I mean, the first goal is, is, is pretty tough to beat. It would have been, I mean, my first year is when we went to the finals and lost to the Bruins. Um, okay. So that would have been. Uh, <laughs> that yeah that definitely would have been the biggest accomplishment but it was I mean it was really cool to to live that experience I didn't play any playoff games like we came up as black aces for the last couple rounds there and I almost got inserted in one game in the finals uh they ended up putting in another centerman but um so I was you know I was again like just that close we win that game seven and if I get in the game it's like boom there's your ring and name on the cup and it's yeah, a lot of guys can come, I mean, come close. Some guys have come closer than that even, right? So, um, yeah, I know it's just funny how funny how it works and funny how, you know, the story goes. But, yeah, that would be probably my first goal, I would say, would be my most memorable. And, um, yeah, that, I would say that's probably in the top. As you're playing, do you ever worry about being traded, ending of your contract, things like that? Well, for me, it was, it was tough just trying to become a full-time NHLer, right? Like when, when you're on a, a two-way contract or even just like at a league minimum contract, a lot of times you're coming to the rink, not knowing if you're going to be there that day or the next day. Right. Um, there's always competition. There's always an extra forward. There's always, 
you know, the young draft pick that they want to get in the lineup or, you know, bring in a veteran. So there's always moving parts. So yeah, for me and a lot of like the fourth line guys that you got to prove yourself every day, right. And every day is kind of a tryout. So yeah, that can take a toll on you too. And just, you know, you got to try and stay in the moment and not think about, am I going to be here tomorrow or Mm -hmm. the next day? Because yeah, naturally you want to do that. Um, so, I mean, I remember when I finally got my letter to get a place in Vancouver and, you know, essentially being like, you're, you're here for a while. Like you made the team basically go get a place. And then of course I got uh, put on waivers and picked up like a week after that. So <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, that's another story, but it, uh, it's a business. And at the end of the day, you're never really safe unless you have like a no move clause. Right. But um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's that element of it's a, it's professional sports, and you got to prove yourself every day, and that's just that's just the nature of it. Was it hard when you got that, or you were picked up on the waiver, and now you have to go to another team, basically? Yeah, that obviously wasn't you know my intent was to to stay in Vancouver. I was you know I had my job that I was doing pretty well, and um, you know they wanted to give another guy a look and you know, I got the short end of the stick, but it's funny how, you know, things in life work, right. It's, you know, when you're going through something that you don't want to go through and you think it's, you know, maybe the end of the world, but it's actually, you know, where you need to be in it. Because when I went to Washington, it worked out how it was supposed to work out. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed Washington and it was great. So it was the way it was supposed to be. And uh, yeah, I kind of just embraced that. And yeah. So. What was the biggest difference from the two experiences from when you were on Vancouver and then when you were on Washington, or did you kind of have a similar journey in a way as a player? As a player, it was similar because again, I had my role and my job and I mean, you always want to expand that, but uh, as a player, it was, it was similar, but the, the teams and the atmosphere and, you know, the organization, was very different at the time. Like Vancouver is sort of maybe what you would expect. I mean, at least at the time, I, this was a long time ago now, but it was very professional and regimented and what you would expect, right. You know, you go to the rink, you have your healthy breakfast and you do your workout and you go to the rink and you watch a movie and you talk with like the sleep doctors and the, the psychologists and there's all these resources. Right. And then I get to Washington and it was, it was very, uh, pretty lax, uh, you know, I wouldn't say country club, but it was definitely a lot more lax. Um, you know, guys kind of just did their own thing. And, uh, I think it was a little too far that way. And then obviously when it started, when Barry Trotz came in, it got a lot better and the team dialed it in. And then of course they won the cup shortly after that. So, um, yeah, at first it was very, very different. And, but I think now, like I, I got, guys that I know that play on their cap still and it's it's changed for the better and and the culture there is is a lot better it was too lax when I first came there and so it's changed but yeah like I said for the better was it hard to know that were you thinking about retiring or what led to your retirement from hockey no it was an injury so I got uh, a neck injury it's actually the same thing that Jack, uh, Jack Eichel's going through um, so I had that fusion surgery cause I got hit from behind in a game and blew my discs up and had all these issues that, uh, yeah, that I had to get fixed. And I, I had another year on my deal left, but 
you know, I came back in around Christmas time and it was a little too soon and it was just, it was just nowhere where it needed to be. And, you know, that, that essentially put me out with, you know, doctors opinions and advice. And they just said, yeah, I mean, you can't play with it, you know, stiff like that. You're going to have too much of a risk of herniation you know, adjacent to that fusion. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, t- I mean, I retired at 30, so I would, I would have liked to still been playing, but that's just not the way it, it, it goes down sometimes. Right. So I was lucky to play my five and a half years. I mean, I was hurt for a lot of it, but, uh, but it was a good run. Looking at post NHL, your rehab on your neck and stuff, was it a long process or are you still taking it slow today? Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty long. Like it was a six, six and a bit months of, you know, rehab, but I mean, that's just like for me to get back playing, like I work on it even today, just, I mean, so it's, you definitely have to keep up on, on keeping the strength and the mobility up. Like I have, you know, not as much mobility as I once did and that can, you know, cause stiffness and and pain. And so it's just, you got to manage that. Right. And that's why I think the whole like Eichel situation was kind of crazy where he couldn't get the surgery he wanted to. And I mean, I mean, we could probably talk about that one forever too, but uh, yeah. Like, so again, I, the, the disc replacement, I mean, yeah, if you would have told me like, you're not going to play again. I might've ended up getting that one, but I'm sure the technology's changed a lot. This is, you know, seven, eight years ago. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure it's changed quite a bit, but um, anyways, that was, that was how it ended for me, unfortunately, but it's the way it goes down. Were you worried about what was next for you? Now I'm not playing hockey anymore and now I have to do something else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, and that's, you go, every guy goes through it. Right. And, you know, I didn't make a bunch of money where I could just chill out and, and, you know, soak up the sun every day. I had to to do something. So yeah, I, uh, I mean, I was like pre-med in college essentially. So I was like, you know, do I go be a doctor? That was some of interest, but then I was like, well, I'm going to be like 48 by the time I finish that. So (laughs) let's not go down that road. And, uh, yeah. And I had always, my interest kind of shifted to, to finance and investing. And so that's what I did for a couple of years after I did, you know, wealth management for a few years and ultimately didn't, didn't love that. Uh, But again, that's all you can do is kick down, kick open doors. And, you know, there's only one way to find out if, if it's what you want to do and that's to do it. Right. And that wasn't it. And then, you know, life, life started happening and, you know, things got pretty real. Like I was going through a bunch of personal stuff and family issues and, and, you know, things like that, that, you know, kind of led me down a bit of a, a tough path there for a bit. And that was, again, part of the whole journey. And that's what's kind of led me to where I am now. And so again, I'm like, I'm thankful that it happened the way it did. And again, I didn't think it would be that in the moment, right. But um, so this, this latest venture with everything has been really good. And I, I, for some reason in my life, I just take the long way around and, you know, it served me pretty well. So you don't have to explain those dark past stuff, but you talked about how it's made you stronger in a way. If someone that's listening to this is kind of going through something like that, what would you tell them to keep going, persevere, get like, keep growing. Things will get better over time. Things like that. Yeah. I mean, like I owe, and I tell this to everyone that every success I've had, or, you know, 
high point in my life has always been preceded by like very, very dark, low, uh, or adversity, right? Like, you know, I was really badly burnt when I was going into my last year at junior. And that's a lot of what my story in my books about of, you know, I, my career was over is what I was told. And, you know, what that allowed me to, to get in terms of like my mindset and, you know, that grit to, to push on. And then even after retiring of, from an injury and then, I mean, the personal stuff, I don't mind talking about it. Like it's going to be in my book or, you know, it's yeah. just, just like, you know, you lose that identity and that sense of self. Like I was a hockey player for 30 years and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you're not that. And then, you know, I was going through a divorce. My dad was sick and like all these things just kept happening, like right after one another. Right. So yeah, it was a tough time. Like I wasn't in a great spot. And again, like I just look where I am now. And, you know, again, I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't go through that. Right. So um, I mean, I, I, I read a lot of books and there's, there's a lots of good quotes, but I mean, I always like the one and like some of the analogies, but you know, don't be the guy that, that dies in the desert next to the oasis, you know, like just when you want to give up, sometimes you just, I mean, sometimes you just keep getting up because, you know, you might just be really close to that top of the mountain, so to speak. Right. Or, um, and like with adversity, that's when you have that immense opportunity for growth right where and that's I think that's what I've noticed now too like with coaching athletes and especially with the younger kids it's adversity is like it's crippling and you know really if you reframe it and you use it to your advantage and trust me like I've been there it seems like the world's against you and like why are you going through this stuff but there's a reason behind it all and if you frame it you know, differently and, and trust that you're going to look back one day. And people always tell me, like, they look at me like I'm crazy when I say they're going through some stuff, right. And like some, some bad things or some adversity, like you're going to look back one day and be like, man, I like, I couldn't have done anything without that. Yep. So, you know, it, and it's so true. And like, I've, I've lived it and I even studied, like studied at Brown with, you know, the visualization mindset and the plasticity of the brain and all that stuff, right. That, uh, you know, it's super powerful. And so, yeah, I mean that I would say that to anyone is adversity is your friend and um, you may not know it at the time, but you will appreciate it at some point. So. With coaching, what's your biggest joy you get out of that opportunity when you're working with athletes or your clients? Yeah, it's just seeing that transformation that, you know, these people go through. And a lot of it is, you know, about squashing that like performance anxiety and and confidence and self-doubt is such a problem. I I think more so these days, Um, because again, like I think we, you know, we touched on it briefly as, as young kids, like when I was 12, 13, 14, like I didn't have anxiety. I just was a kid and I like played on dirt piles and then I played hockey, like on my, in my spare time. And, you know, I had snowball fights and a loving family. And like, I didn't really think about pressure to perform or, but now like these, these young kids, it's, it's just, they get it from everywhere. Right. They get it from social media. They might get it from their parents. They, they put more pressure on themselves because there's, again, like with, with these platforms and social media, they, they see what other people are doing. Right. And, 
it just causes this unhealthy pressure. So I think that's the biggest reward is just reframing people and, and opening up to the world of like visualization and mindset and, you know, being okay with adversity. And, and then you start to see that in, like crippling anxiety start to go away. Right. Um, so that's definitely the most rewarding is just, you know, helping people at the end of the day. And that's, that's, what's really been rewarding. As you were talking about anxiety and kids nowadays are having that pressure. I was thinking back to my child. I'm like, I, I was the same way. I was just having fun and stuff. And I don't yeah. think it got to the pressure part until I believe like the end of high school where, okay, what college are you going to is yeah. people are going to this college and you're going to this one. Oh, you're not good enough because you couldn't get to that one. And I think that, and then college, because there's so like social media plays a big part in that and people are like judging and commenting and things like that. And it's just, it's like take away social media and it, this world would be completely different. Yeah. Like again, like social media can be a useful tool for, yes. I mean, you know, for your podcast or for my business or, or whatever, it can be useful or building a brand and whatever. But I mean, there, there's some good in it, but like, again, we keep going, things have gone too far this one way. Right. And it's caused a lot of problems with some of these younger kids, I think for sure. Um, that, that we, that we see now, right. When you're working with clients, do they see a lot of value in what you give because you've experienced certain um, similar things that they may have gone through and things like that instead of them working with a coach who's never been in their shoes before? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, they relate to it those experiences. Right. I mean, for me, what was really cool is I had this experience in the burn unit in Vancouver and, you know, I visualized where I wanted to go and that allowed me to, I mean, I know it allowed me to heal faster and, and even just get back to playing hockey. And then when I got to Brown, I, like I started studying that and I took neuroscience and human biology and, you know, started learning about the biology of, of everything and the plasticity of the brain. And it was like, man, like I'm learning about like what I experienced. It was really cool. Right. And, and just having my experiences after hockey and, and just even making it to the NHL, like I was never supposed to make it to the NHL. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, like I was 24 years old, no one knew who I was. And uh, yeah. So when I work with people and I tell them like, especially like my, my experience with, with the burn unit and they're like, Oh man, that's like, that's some real stuff. Right. Like it was, it was pretty, pretty tough times and uh and now like some of the the people I work with like they get crippled if like they make one mistake and you know it's just okay let's let's bring it back like to having fun and you know it's okay to make mistakes and we learn from the mistakes mistakes are your friend not your enemy and um you know I'm not advocating for playing with fire or anything like when I tell my story but again like I wouldn't have got to where I got to without that experience and so just relating it to, to that. Right. And um, yeah, people really resonate there. And, you know, again, validating like, you know, the feelings they have around their mistakes and that's good, but let's reframe it and, you know, and use it, you know, as, as a, you know, useful and, and, you know, building a confidence through learning and things like that. Right. When someone reads your book, what are you hoping the reader learns about your story or the mission that you want to tell when they're reading? Yeah, it's funny. So when I started writing the book, it was strictly just a memoir mm -hmm. and it took different forms as, as I went. 
like, again, I was between these jobs, not really sure what I was going to do. And this book was always a side project just because my story, um, you know, some people knew about it. Most people that I knew didn't really know like the ends of, you know, and what I actually went through. So again, it was a side project. I decided with COVID, I'm like, okay, this is a perfect time to just crank this out. So I did, and I spent about six months writing it. Um, but yeah, it took different forms as I went. It, it started as a memoir. And then about, you know, halfway through, I had like a light bulb moment. And I'm like, this is what I need to to do is teach people what I've learned about, you know, the power of the human spirit and visualization specifically and what it what it gave me in terms of that grit and that relentlessness and just you know like I just refuse to give up and and you know like distort that reality like that's not just because the doctors are saying this like it's not a good enough reason for me to stop really is you know so the book is is really about my story but it's pulling in you know the tools with visualization and and how adversity can be your friend if you know, you just, again, you don't give up and you use it, you know, to learn and get better and, and reframe that. So, um, yeah, there, there's tools as well as just the story in it. So when you were writing at the time the, for those six months and you're reflecting on certain aspects of your life, did it kind of trigger different memories or kind of different emotions that you had and you kind of viewed it differently at where you are today than when you were during that time yeah absolutely it was I mean it was a really therapeutic thing to to write that all down and you know you go through you live you relive all those emotions right that you live there but like you said from you're reliving it from you know your older self now and Mm -hmm. yeah you like I've changed a lot as a person as we all do right and you know reflecting there of what your values are now maybe that they're different than they were when you, you know, you went through that stuff. So yeah, it really changes your perspective. But like, for me, it was good because it, you know, you kind of just look back and you're like, man, I did that. Like, you know, it kind of reinstills that, you know, that, that fight and that power of, of what you really can accomplish if, if you really want to. Right. Um, So it's always good to kind of relive that. And, and, but I mean, again, like it's, had an aspect of like a journaling type of feeling, right. Where it's really therapeutic of just, just writing and living through those emotions and feelings and, and, you know, just, just sitting with that. And, and yeah, no, it was, it was a great, great experience. I think that's so true. I think a lot of people, when they write it down, they kind of, it's therapeutic in a way. And I think I do that same thing when I'm setting goals or what did I accomplish for the day? Things like that. And I'm looking back at these notes and I'm like, wow, okay, I got something going. I'm doing what I'm trying to do or want to accomplish. So I see the value that you own. You're talking about that. And it just shows that different ways have people have different ways to process things. And your way was to write it down and kind of relive those moments. And now you're ready to share it for the world to see. Yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of it too was, was, I mean, a few things. One was just being okay with and being okay with getting vulnerable and and telling my story because I was never one to, to share it. Right. I just kept things close to the vest and so that was the first step was just being okay with sharing it and and talking about myself really. And, um, but yeah. And then the other, not just writing it down, but I mean, for me, again, like it all comes back to the visualization 
practice that I had and just, just sharing that and, and, you know, tools, how to do that effectively and, and how it can, you know, play such a, an important part, you know, in your life. So. Have you ever thought about getting back into hockey, maybe not as a player, but in like a coaching, a different kind of role, or are you satisfied with where you are today and kind of, that was a part of my story and I'm ready to continue towards the future? Yeah, I never had an, a desire to really get into the coaching or or that at all. Um, I mean, this, I my long-term vision is to expand that and maybe consult with, you know, different teams, whether it be professional or, or whoever, hopefully everyone, right. Just because I think it's such an underserved, you know, part of, of really every business and every aspect of life. But I mean, right now it's primarily, primarily athletics for me and, and working that angle. Right. But I mean, this is true for, for everything in life. So um, yeah, I never had any desire to, to coach or anything like that, but, you know, I would, you know, my plan is to expand this uh, to, to other professional teams and maybe it's a consultant or, or whatever. And just, you know, mental, mental health in general has gotten so much, you know, attention and rightfully so. Right. And yep. this, this would fall under that, you know, to some capacity of just how powerful our minds really are. Right. And, and using that, I mean, we all train physically and like as an athlete, you know, you work on your skills, you go to the gym, and but this is a lot of guys don't do the mental stuff and it's such a it's the biggest bang for your buck is what I always say because it doesn't take a long time you can go spend hours in the gym but like the visualization and the mindset stuff takes you know 10 minutes a day kind of thing you know you do it a couple times a day and and especially when you're doing like the mo the movements in your brain like your brain doesn't know the difference if you're like performing one of the exercises or or skills versus physically doing it right it doesn't know the difference so again it's such an important aspect of just rewiring those pathways in your brain flipping that mindset and everything like that right so um no i mean to answer your question i'm i'm super stoked where i'm at now and i'm again i'm just working on expanding this and and bringing more attention to it mentioned a little bit just there but what does the future look like for you personally and professionally what are you wanting to accomplish personally and professionally in the next few years yeah well my book's going to be out sometime next year which will be exciting so I don't have a definitive date on that but yeah like that'll be really cool to get that out it's it's been a fun project and then yeah like expanding this coaching business like for me it's been it's been busy and it's been great and I'd like to you know, expand that to maybe groups of kids and, um, and, uh, you know, different sports teams as a consultant or something like that. Right. And then with the speaking really, you know, that's been a bit on the back burner for me right now, just, I mean, I'm too busy with, with the coaching and stuff like that, but speaking is one of the only things I've done since I've retired that you get that same nervous excitement and adrenaline before it's kind of like before a game. Mm-hmm. So I, I really love that part of it, right? Where it's, you know, you're nervous and then you go in and you, things settle in and then you're kind of off to the races, right? So that's really cool. I like that. And again, you're just, at the end of the day, it's just about sharing this message about, you know, the human mind and grit and adversity and visualization and, and why we all need it and, and things like that, right? So again, it's just another platform to do so. So yeah, that's where that's where I'll be in the next, uh, you know, year and, and, and after that. 
and that year is going to come quick. I mean, yeah. it just seems like these days just go fly by. Yeah, it just goes by faster as we get older, for sure. Yeah. The final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Yeah, I would just say, and that's what I tell a lot of my clients, is just trust the journey. I mean, you're here, you want to go here, and then your life is a movie, and that's what I teach all my clients. So what what does your movie look like? And again, you want to go there and, and trust that journey. What does that journey look like? And again, understand that it's not going to be a straight line. There's going to be some tough times in there. And, but that's, what's going to propel you there. If you just, you know, again, reframe it and you can't give up. And because when you, you, when you trust where you're going and you have that, you know, such, such purpose that, you know, again, you won't stop until you get there. So it's just about trusting that, that process and that journey. And it might take a while. Um, And that's, that's sometimes the part that people aren't okay with. So you need to get okay with, you know, it's going to take a while. It might take some time and that's okay. Right. And just trust that journey. I would say is, is the big part. My life's just an obstacle course. You never know what barriers you're going to have to get through, but like you said, it's not a straight. And that's why I always do an obstacle course because I'm going jumping across ledges or balance beam and stuff like that. But I feel like that I grow as an individual, each challenge I face and I enjoy yeah. that process because if it was an easy road, you don't learn. You don't, you don't no, get the yeah. knowledge out of it. You have to challenge yourself. I totally agree. And I mean, again, like you don't hear the stories of the sixes and the sevens. You hear the stories of the ones and the tens and the ones and the tens. And yep. I'd way rather have that, you know, than this. Uh, but the caveat is there's a lot more ones than there are tens, right? But the tens mm-hmm. are just that sweet that you're willing to do it again, right? So yeah, again, it's just trusting that journey and, and trusting that, you know, the ones are, they might suck, but they're going to allow you to get to that, that 10, right? So. Well, Aaron, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. It was a pleasure. Chat soon. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.